Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks so much for listening. My guest today is Jason Windebank. Before we get to Jason, I want to give a few announcements. One, the website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. Check out uh, all our guests. You can see photos of the guests. You can see links to all their social media and various websites. You can see links to all our social media and various websites. That is, of course, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, our Facebook page, and of course, Stitcher Radio and iTunes, where you can subscribe to the show always for free. And I will ask again that if you are listening on iTunes, why not give us a good rating? That helps people find the show because it boosts our presence. That's a nice thing to do. And if you can do that, I would appreciate it. If you want to write me, it's Travel Tales Pod podcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. I'm very excited because this weekend I will be going back to Canada to be a brand ambassador for the Rocky Mountaineer train, which I will be taking from Vancouver to Jasper, Alberta, up in the mountains. And uh, I'm very excited about it. I'll be promoting it uh, for the next few months, probably six months, actually. I am contractually obligated to do so, and I have no problem doing it. I'm, I'm very excited because it's a beautiful experience if you get a chance to do it. Take the train over uh, the Rocky Mountains and some of the best scenery in North America, and I will be shooting lots of video and photos, which I will be promoting on my website and the Rocky Mountaineer site and everything else. I got a buddy of mine, Rob Paravonian, coming out from... New York City to help me shoot some video, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I will be annoying you with all of that over the next few months. But I want to get right to uh, Jason Windebank, who's a very interesting guy. I had the pleasure of meeting him uh, just last week. Some years back, Jason and his brother came up with the idea of sailing around the world, and never mind the fact that they weren't experienced sailors, and never mind the fact that they bought a boat in Turkey sight unseen. And the stories just piled up from there. So as you can imagine, I was very excited to talk to him, and he was a really nice guy. So I went to go record at his place in Pacific Palisades, which was beautiful, surrounded by amazing photographs that he took along the way on his trip, hung out with him and his lovely fiance, who were wonderful hosts, and he told me the story of sailing around the world. And it's got everything, bad weather, piracy, mechanical problems, you name it. I loved listening to his story, and I think you will too. So... Please enjoy my conversation with Jason Windebank. Let's tell the people who is Jason Windebank. Now I um, I work in investment management, so I work with uh, a single high net worth family, and I manage their investment portfolio. And that's uh, actually what I did uh, before I did my big around the world voyage. So investment management is what I would say. Okay. Now we're going to talk about this around the world voyage. I first uh, met you. I've met you through uh, our friend, Jimmy Swift, 
Indeed. who joined you for a bit on this round-the-world boat journey. He had big ambitions. Didn't make it very far, <laughs> but he, he did join us, yes. He talked a big game before he left. He did. We he did, did an episode with him before he, he left, and he was telling... He talked a little bit about what you were doing. <laughs> so uh, describe f- for a minute there. First of all, where are you from originally? Originally from uh, southern England. Southern England? Southern England, yeah. I don't hear yeah. that for a second in your voice. Uh, when, you're, when you move to the United States when you're young and you get teased as a kid, <laughs> you lose the accent within weeks. So I was, <laughs> right. uh, I was seven when I moved to the United States. Okay, and yeah. to where? To, uh, to Los Angeles. To oh, you're, Los you're, you're actual yeah. local. I'm a local. I'm wow, a local. okay. Yeah. So when did this idea of traveling the world in a boat Hit you? What happened? Well, the first, the first, it was a kernel. It was a little idea um, about probably twenty years ago when we were doing a family trip, a bareboat charter. We had chartered a boat in Tahiti, and we were on a fuel dock just refueling one day, and um, and some people pulled up to the fuel dock, and they uh, we asked them what they were doing. We were chit chatting, and they said, "Well, we're we're sailing around the world." And I said, well, "Wait, what? That's how can you possibly do that? That doesn't seem possible." And so it was always just an idea that I had. Well, that's an interesting thing to do. Um, I'd grown up uh, as a child. I'd been on been on sailing boats, so I'd, I had the experience with it. But it was really just seeing somebody actually doing it, and just that thought just never leaving my mind. Well, maybe if there's an opportunity one day, I would like to do that. And so I just waited for the opportunity, and then one day it arrived. Okay, and it was you and your brother, correct? It was me and my brother, correct? Okay, is this an older brother or younger? Younger brother. Okay. So how big of a difference of age? Uh, about a year and a half. Oh, okay, you're really close. Very close. Okay, so the two of you, you hatched this plan. Now, who was the, the main instigator behind this whole thing? Was it you or him or it was say, even? I would say guil- guilty on that. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, I decided this is something I wanted to do. Um, and then I thought, you know, who can I do this with? And, um, and started talking to friends, started to talk to my, to my brother. And in the end, he was the one that raised his hand and said, I'm crazy enough to do it with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what year was this? About? This is 2012. 2012. Okay. So you, you hatched this plan. We're going to sail around the entire world. And you did not have a boat, correct? We did not have a boat. You did not have a boat. So now, first order of business, we got to get a boat. Yes. And it was going to be a sailboat or power? Power boats don't work well for voyages like this. Okay. Uh, you just don't have the, the range in a power boat and the cost, uh, the fuel cost would be prohibitive. Okay. You're so talking to, to a, be... a maritime moron here. So <laughs> okay. Talk to me okay, like so... I'm an idiot. Okay. Yeah. Wind power, uh, being pushed by the wind is much cheaper than being pushed by diesel fuel. And so a sailing boat was, was the answer. Um, and so we began looking, and we wanted to start at the most upwind place in the world, um, and that is the Mediterranean. Uh, that's where we got a. We figured if we buy a boat there, we get a chance to learn. We didn't. We didn't know how to sail either. That was a, another thing. We oh wait a minute. Okay, <laughs> let's back it up. So you're gonna. <laughs> you said you had been as a kid. You you've been around boats. We, we, you, no, we've been on them. We had been on boats. We we definitely knew. But you you don't know how to sail. We didn't know how to sail. <laughs> okay. None of that. That part we were I missing. got red flags all over this plan. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was probably not a good plan. This is a little foolhardy, if you ask me. What did your parents think of this plan? Uh, they were my parents are pretty crazy, so they were pretty supportive. Actually, okay. they said go for it. Yeah, they said I think they said you only live once, so sure, just do it. Okay, do it. so I mean, so why the Mediterranean to buy the boat as opposed to like Florida or something like that? In Florida, you set off and you're in the in the you're in the, you're in the ocean. Your your passages are are big. So where are you going to go from Florida? Uh, remember, you have to sail west because the, the, the trade winds blow from east to west. I, I so, did not know this either, so, so going, this so is good. So in I, west to east, at least if you want to be in warm weather, which we did, um, you have no choice. You're going east to west. Um, and if you think about what your passage looks like as you leave uh, heading west from Florida, um, either your first you stop the, is going to be Cuba or it's going to be Panama Canal. 
And either one of those, it's getting to Cuba is tricky um, and illegal at the time anyway yeah. for an American citizen. And Panama, uh, Panama is not too difficult, but once you get through the Panama Canal, you are into the Pacific Ocean. And if you know your geography, that's, uh, you're into the biggest uh, passage in the world. Yes. Um, so, uh, so where is a good place, where, where it makes sense to start out for somebody who needs to learn how to sail? Um, the answer is the Mediterranean. Um, if you start in the Mediterranean in summertime, you can expect, uh, you, you think you could expect reasonable weather. Um, your distances are short, so you'll be learning on passages that are either less than a day or maybe overnight trips. If you have problems with a boat, which is very likely if you're buying a used boat, um, you have lots of services, uh, they're readily accessible. So it's kind of the obvious choice, uh, for us. So what are your requirements for two guys in a boat? How big does it have to be? And what was your, I mean, what was your budget for this? I mean, a lot of people would think of this and you're like, okay, my two concerns are a safety mm-hmm. and knowing how to sail. Right. <laughs> That's probably Those number are... one for me. <laughs> you, you didn't have a problem with that, but for me, maybe knowing how to sail, mm-hmm. maybe I'm mm-hmm. call me crazy. But uh, two, uh, do you have sponsors for this, or is this all you? This is all this is all us, us together. Wow. Um, but um, yeah, it was that was the the opportunity that gave rise to the to the trip was actually looking at our bank accounts, saying actually this is a moment in time where we can we can do this. Um, and so we were working with definitely a very limited budget, uh, but we thought it was a very limited budget actually. But when we got out there, we realized that people do this on on pennies uh, on the dollar for compared to what we do it with. So we were starting with um, – we were willing to make a capital investment in the boat because we figured we'd get that back at the end. Failed assumption number one. <laughs> yeah. That's what we were thinking at the time. Because um, I, I always remember that, that quote everybody loves to say, the, the two happiest days in a guy's life when he buys a boat and when he sells it. Correct, correct. And, I, and we haven't sold it yet, but I think the oh, day's coming soon. Okay. Yeah, we have an offer. The offer came in this morning. So Oh, good <laughs> yeah, luck. It's, it's happening right now. Good luck yeah. with that. Okay, so um, you go in which country in Europe? So in Turkey, you have a, a very big – Turkey has a really good secondary market for boats because uh, in Turkey, um, it's outside the European Union. So all the people who don't want to pay European taxes take their boats there, ah. and they sell them there because of tax reasons. And there's, it's beautiful waters, and so and it's, a, it's a great pay, place to buy boats and to sell boats. So where do you go? You, like, you know a guy? You got Craigslist? What? We know, Craigslist we know, we know the uh, yeah the Craigslist for boats in Istanbul. Uh, it's it's actually the the same one that you anybody who's looking around would find yachtworld.com. Oh and, yeah, uh, or yeah yacht, yachtworld.com, and uh, that's where that's where everybody looks for boats. How many boats did you look at before you found the one you wanted? None. We never actually looked at the boat before we bought it. Okay, <laughs> this is red flag number. <laughs> what are we up to? Two or three? Yeah. So you bought a boat sight unseen. We did. I was I was working, and it was it just wasn't practical to take the uh, to take the month off to go or to take this. I can tell you, it's not practical buying a boat sight unseen. <laughs> Where were you three years ago? For the, <laughs> okay, I, I mean, you are the greatest customer for this guy yeah. selling this boat. Yeah, we are. We were. Yeah. So I assume there was you know plenty of photos. We had plenty <laughs> okay. of photos. Yes, yes, yes. How old was this boat? Uh, it was a nineteen ninety four boat. Ninety four. Yeah. So, so it's pretty. It's got some miles on it. Yes, it already been around the world once. That's one of the reasons we liked it. It was a a boat that was w- very well designed. It was designed and equipped for this type of voyage. So how many feet? Fifty six. Like, Fifty six feet. Mm-hmm. And like how many? I guess sails. Sing, uh, single mast. So that means really has okay, one big really, pole. Yeah, one up. big pole. Uh, two. You attach basically two sails to it. Okay. More or less. 
And um, it was a long boat, a big, a big boat for two people to sail. Normally, people who are doing this with two people um, would say we use a forty foot boat, forty five foot boat. Um, so it's a big, it's a, it was a long boat, but uh, help us make the passage fast. The longer the boat, the faster it moves through the water. So it was a fast boat. So there's there's uh, I assume kitchens and it was a kitchen and a, um, or galley. I galley? believe that's what it's a called. Galley, is it? Hey, I'm a nautical guy. <laughs> so and like a bedroom or more than one? Two, two bedrooms, um, a galley. Um, and uh, an engine room, and, okay. and, and two two toilets heads they call them on boats. Yeah, so <laughs> you uh, you fly out to Turkey when to see it? When? Fly out to Turkey um, just a, a, about a month after we bought it, um, and spent about a month doing repair work to it. We knew we had we needed to work before we bought it. Um, took some sailing lessons on it uh, in Turkey. And then uh, did our first, and then left from Turkey. That's kind of as simple as it was. Okay, so your first day you leave, and what? So that was the, what month? What that year? was that was in. Uh, so we left in like uh, May or uh, May of 2012. May of 2012. Okay, start of the summer. So things are going good. You get some time to learn. Great, that's what we thought. Did you plan on uh, how how long do you think this would whole this whole trip would take? Two years. Um, two years. Two years was the goal. Wow. Um, keep in mind your your course and the timing of your of your trip is um, basically dictated by the weather. You have to be at certain points at certain times of the year because you can't make a Pacific crossing or an Atlantic crossing at between certain dates. Yeah. You have cyclone seasons. You basically have weather seasons. Oh right. And they're predictable. Okay. And so you have a good weather season at every for almost every crossing. So in the Mediterranean you start and you are you want to sail in summertime. You don't want to be in the wintertime. It's obviously miserable and cold. When you get to um to the to the exit, the the mouth of the Mediterranean uh, near Gibraltar, then you're looking at the Atlantic Ocean and then you have to make that crossing between at certain time of the year, after November, but before uh February and March. Um, and right. the same thing would hold true at every stop. So you want to be at the Panama Canal at a certain moment. You want to be um, you want to be uh, th- across the Pacific. In other words, you want to be on the shores of Australia or New Zealand by a certain time. Uh, you're sailing in the in the at the times of the year where it's safe to sail uh, in light of the weather conditions. Wow. Okay. So. So you you sketched out a, a preliminary so, schedule. So you can do it. You can do it in two years as a very aggressive schedule. That's about as fast as you can do it. Um, uh, and that was our that was our plan was to be at the key key moments such that we could complete the voyage in two years. So how long do you spend at sea before you have to stop and stock up on supplies and? So the, the boat uh, the boat is very ca- capable. I mean, m- most people would be able to go um, up thirty you know thirty days, and you're you're you're, you're rationing. So you're you've got your b- bunch of dry food, but um, we could go up to sixty days without without stopping. Is water your most precious resource? Water basically? is um, no. I would say diesel fuel is, yeah. is is what pulls you in. Yeah, because because if you want to keep moving like we were like we want to move. Um, then when the wind, when the wind's not blowing, then we just put the motor on and we go through diesel fuel. Yeah. Wow. So it's May. Okay. You set out, mm-hmm. you're ready to do this. The two guys, two brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I don't get along with my brothers that, that well, <laughs> my brother. You learned so, that very quickly on a yeah, boat. <laughs> we wouldn't last a day. So, uh, okay. So you're taking off and how did you divvy up? The responsibilities is one guy more uh, responsible for steering and one guy for doing the legwork. How did that work? 
So you learn that as you go, at least we did. Um, so yeah, one person is kind of the, the captain and the other person, uh, that was, that was me. So I would take care of most, most of the key tasks would be like navigation and boat repairs. And <laughs> that's, and my brother was more, um, he was kind of the, 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 the first mate, I guess. Um, and so a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the sail, the, the deck work, uh, sails up and down. Um, and, but most, for the most part, what you're doing on a boat is you are, the hard work is the watches, right? Um, if you, when you're at sea anyway, the hard work is, uh, just being awake, watching the navigation equipment, making sure the boat remains on course, doing lookouts for other boats that are, that are coming near you, um, responding to the radio if somebody's, if somebody's, uh, hailing you, um, just basically being awake and alert. Uh, so the, having more than one person on the boat allows you to do shifts. So we would do like four or five hour shifts and then do rotations through the night. If you're single-handed, you have to move much more slowly because you can't really move through the night as easily. Okay, so what was the longest stretch that you guys were at sea at one time? Uh, the like, longest stretch we were at sea, um, I think, would be our Indian Ocean crossing at, near the very end. Uh, we left from Maldives, and we didn't touch land until we got to uh, to uh, Sudan, uh, in the halfway up the Red Sea. And how long was that? Um, that was probably 30 days. 30 days? Yeah. Two guys alone on the boat. We, by that point, we had four. We we, we were into uh, more treacherous areas. So on the big crossings, we would take a third uh, a third crew member, um, somebody who would come on and be able to split the, the the watches with us. So instead of doing, you know, at night, you can if there's twelve hours of night watches that need to be done, we could do two six hour watches, or we could do three four hour watches. And so the idea of having a crew member on to help with everything on the boat. Um, was attractive to us, and we took so we for the big passages. We always took a third crew member. Where do you find these guys? Were these friends, or they were guys we just found along the way? Um, so I got you, there's another red meet, flag. I got I you, don't know who these uh, layabouts yeah. are that you know. Yeah, pick up a guy at a port. They, for us, all three times we did this, they were Spaniards. Okay. So I was going to say a Portuguese guy. Yeah, yeah. Span- <laughs> for for us, it was just, it was a Spaniards. Um, I shouldn't say that one of the guys was just lives in Spain. He's not technically Spanish, but generally, something about Spain makes you want to do these crazy things. <laughs> and and they just they they've, they've figured out, I think, quite rightly, that if you want to get around the world and you want to see the world on a boat, um, you're much better off uh, being a crew on a boat than you are owning the thing. Because yeah, uh, from a from a cost perspective, it's much more. Uh, they they got a much better deal than we did. Let's say. Yeah. <laughs> Are you? Do you pay him, or do you just no, give him like a no. free passage? They they have a they have a they generally for us they had a free passage. Um, some people would pay them. Um, for us uh, for us they we found guys that were just on the dock um, wanting to do this, passionate about it. We didn't know, and generally we didn't know that we were going to find people to do it. So we were sort of maybe dealing with people who were just arrived and kind of in a situation where they didn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, and so, but th- there was no expectation that we were going to pay them, and uh, they were perfectly happy just to hop on and just basically hitchhike around the world. Wow. <laughs> so starting in uh, Turkey mm-hmm. and to get to Gibraltar and out of the Mediterranean, how long did that take? Yeah, that was about six months. We spent the Mediterranean six summer. Well, we, we took our time, of course. We're, well, we're well, in the Mediterranean. Yeah, did, yeah. So, we're, so did you go we, like all these islands in we, Croatia yeah, and all we, that? Of course. We did, we did uh, the Greek Isles, which, is, which were amazing. We did, uh, sailed up towards uh, Croatia, uh, came back down, uh, went to Malta, came up, did Italy and Sardinia, Corsica, uh, did Monaco and France, and came down through Ibiza and Mallorca. And then came around the bottom, did Costa del Sol, southern Spain. Wow. And, and yeah. Okay, out. you don't have to air your dirty laundry here, but, I mean, two young guys with a, with their own boat must have been kind of popular at these 
places. Much e- very <laughs> difficult. If 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 a, if a woman knows what she's doing, she's going to be very hesitant to get on a get on a dinghy and yeah, go back could, to a floating boat. Yeah, but uh, four of them together though, there was strength in numbers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you, if you figure out how to do this, uh, let let uh, let at least my brother know. <laughs> be very, right. very interested to hear your trick. It's uh, it's not an easy task. Did you ever have like family or friends from the states come visit all the time? All okay. the time. So many times we had. Um, friends coming out, uh, not, particularly in the Mediterranean, we had a lot of people coming out because it's easy. Um, the trick is, of course, you need to have an easy access point at both the beginning yeah. and the end of their of their short voyage. And so, once you get into the more remote parts of the world, that's impossible. But uh, for us, uh, we were lucky enough that you know, in certain places, um, generally the more the more uh, uh, built up places, we were able yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. Your favorite experiences in the Mediterranean: a summer with a boat in the Mediterranean. Which were your give us your your top three locations? Well, that's pretty easy. Um, the uh, my favorite destinations would definitely be the Greek islands, um, starting in Rhodes. Uh, that's where we that was our first landing point after we left Turkey. So, and that's where we finished our around the world voyage. So, for me, that's a, just a particularly special place. But I think anybody that goes to Rhodes and anywhere in the Greek islands, you have Santor- you have diversity. You have Santorini. You have uh, if you want to party, you have um, what is it? Uh, Mykonos. Mykonos. Um, and you've got just you've got amazing history and uh, and beautiful beautiful uh, small towns. Um, and then you come through the Corinth Canal, which is an experience in itself. That's a shortcut to get to the uh, to the other side of, of Greece. And then you can go up to uh, to up the Adriatic um, to uh, Croatia. And Croatia has um, Havar is, and all that. Havar. Um, you have Dubrovnik. You have just amazing, amazing cities. And personally, my favorite place in the world is is Croatia. Yeah, and that's I've been where... there like four times. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. You've, you've seen the highlights. All downhill from there. Sure. <laughs> I haven't been to Havar though. Yeah, oh, you missed yeah. Havar. Okay. Well, you but it. I have been to like Split and Korčula and uh, mm-hmm. Dubrovnik a number of times, and then the the peninsula I love the yeah. Istria. Uh huh. Okay. I okay. love that one. It's like all the food and wine area. I mean, you get you get a lot of the benefits of Italy in terms of the uh, yeah, I mean, the history and the yeah. and the, the food and the I mean it's 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 but you also get Croatia right it's, a, it's it is different and it has old these small old towns that are that have their own unique character and are unspoiled and it's not over the top touristic some places Dubrovnik yeah crazy but uh, you can get away from it and it's uh, and it's really really a special place and that's why we're going back there for our honeymoon oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's congratulations yeah. thank you uh, so what would be number three then. Uh, number three, um, well, you have the Balearic Islands as well. Ibiza? Ibiza uh, is great. We were there out of season. We just missed the party okay. season. I went to Mallorca um, last year. Mallorca, so Mallorca and, uh, and it's, it's beautiful. Palma in, in Mallorca. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely gorgeous. Lo- love, love that. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's so difficult. Like the, the, with the Mediterranean, the, the amazing thing about the Mediterranean is the diversity you get. So how can you, how can you prefer Mallorca over Saint-Tropez or over Monaco or over Corsica? Uh, I mean, you have every place in the Mediterranean is amazing. So I think the main thing is about the Mediterranean is you just want time. You want to, yeah. you want to retire there. You want to have summers there. <laughs> right. So, this, so the plan, once you get out of the Mediterranean, did you, was the plan to go up to, say, England and then Ireland and no, then over? No, no. That, or was no that too far that. north? No time for that. So, so uh, if you're doing the circuit, the, the traveling the world in, in uh, two or three years, uh, you're staying in between the tropics and you're taking pretty much a beeline and staying as close to the equator as you can. So um, you shot south to like the Canary Islands and all that? Correct, correct. So you go to the Canaries and then that's the, that's the kind of the launch point for the Atlantic crossing. And from there you're going you're gonna to do your first big, for us it was our first big passage. That was a 19-day passage. And so 19 that, days. 
19 days. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're landing at that point in somewhere in the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, for us, it was, uh, for us, it happened to be Martinique. Okay. So you didn't, I just turned down a uh, cruise to do a, a crossing from Fort Lauderdale to, mm. is it Madeira? Ah, you the, would, of course, in the, in the, you were further north. So yeah. you are going to be going with the westerly. So you're going mm-hmm. further north to get out of the, uh, out of the, 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 the trade winds. I didn't take it. I didn't want to do it. Why? You know what? I don't like being on the ship for that long without how long would touching they, land. How long was it? I think it was like seven days, seven, eight days. Seven days. Well? Longest I've done on a ship was five coming back from uh, Hawaii to Ensenada. Mm-hmm. That was long enough. Well, I'll tell you, enough. The, the interesting thing about being at sea, especially maybe it's different on a cruise boat. I haven't spent that much at sea, time at sea on a cruise boat. But the first uh, four or five days, you're just going to get a job. You, you, you settle into a mode after a certain amount of time. And at the beginning, you th- you're thinking, oh, I can't stand the idea of spending this much, you know, three weeks on a boat. By the time you're actually approaching land, like on your 19th or 20th day, I have to say, your attitude's changed. Like, you're you're in that mode, and you actually are not, you know, you're kind of afraid of land. You know, you, you <laughs> it's it's so strange to, to say it. And, but I remember the feeling, thinking, as we were coming into, uh, this is in the Pacific Crossing, coming into Hiva'oa, thinking, you know what, I, I don't know that I want to arrive at land. And there's crazy stories. If you if you think about the um, if you watch if you read any kind of maritime history, the guys who who would go and um, the, the, the first uh, sailing circumnavigations, um, the, the first nonstop sailing circumnavigations, the guy who was coming in one of the one of the leaders. This is back in the '60s. Um, there's a brilliant movie, movie about it. There's a book called Voyage for Mad Men, and um, and uh, the, the the Frenchman that was that was coming in to win it, and it was going to get all the praise for being the the, the fat. He's going to win the this amazing race um, set history, and as he's coming in, he's thinking about the you know coming coming back to life. He's got a wife, he's got kids, and the crazy Frenchman he decides at the last minute as he's coming to the finish line, you know what? I don't want to do it. And he turned he 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 turned around as he's coming to the finish line, and he went around the world a second time. Oh he never God. touched land. He didn't make it around the world. He, he he set off to do that. He made it about halfway around. And then he and then he stops somewhere in some French colony or something. But it, it, maybe it's a little bit of madness that happens when you're. Yeah, saying, I, I guess. Know. You know what? I think because it's simple. You know what yeah, I mean? You yeah. there's you simplify into okay. I have to eat, sleep, and guide this. And there's the ocean, and that's it. Yeah, there's nothing you could do out there. You know, you are on your own. You're on you, your own. You get the sense of self sufficiency. You are at peace with yourself. You come to know the ocean. You come to know your boat. And it's a very, very peaceful existence. What kind of technology did you have on the ship? Did you have like, uh, I mean, cell service has got to be hard to come by. Do you? We had, um, of course, there's no cell service out there. Right. Uh, you have, we, your own satellite on there. We have, yeah, we had satellite equipment. So the the two main ways of communicating, we have a, a satellite. We had a satellite, um, a big dome. So like a, you can get, you can do this through a satellite phone or through like a, a more proper installation. We had the we had the we had a pretty significant system, so we could have, we had a lot of bandwidth. I was working on the boat, so we oh, had okay. some data. Um, and then you can do it. You can also get data through um, through uh, basically ham radio, a marine version of a ham radio, and there you're bouncing radio waves off the atmosphere, and you can get small amounts of data enough to get weather forecasts and things like that. The most important thing is, of course, weather. Yeah. Um, and of, and GPS is easy these days, so we don't we didn't even carry paper charts. So we had um, we 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 navigated almost the whole way around the world on an iPad. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you mean you don't look at the stars anymore? You don't need to. You don't you guide, you guide look at them. Stars. You don't know. You, you don't know whether you're looking up, down, left, right, north, or south. But does, don't you have like amazing appreciation for those guys who did it back in the day? When I mean, I was just in Antarctica, and you hear about 
Shackleton and these guys are just like, I am not a man. Yeah. I can't believe these guys. I mean, before Gore-Tex and mm-hmm. GPS, and mm-hmm. they were bringing like dogs down there to just uh, mm-hmm. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Heavy and, wool um, and this wet. Oh God, I can't imagine the. It's and when you're out there, that's we, how many times did we say each other those exact those exact words? Um, how do they do it? Like they it did seems this in wooden ships. Impossible. Oh. And um, and then you get down to uh, and then we, from our perspective, we think back at the history and we think about the the European voyagers who set out yeah. to these things. What's really amazing is you get down the South Pacific and you find out how those how those guys uh, call canoes it. and things. And yeah, they they were. From from Southeast Asia, from Asia, um, they they if you look, trace the history, they 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 found every island in the South Pacific, and they did it sailing in little hand built dugout canoes with sails, going against the wind. So our guys, we would go east. To, we were going with the trade winds. Yeah. those guys were going against the trade winds. They had they didn't know how to navigate by the stars. They did it by the clouds. Uh, by they, the clouds, they would know how to how to read the clouds, and they could they could look at weather. They would learn everything by looking at the clouds. Wow. Man. Maybe nobody knows for sure how they did it. Um, maybe they were doing celestial navigation, but they certainly didn't have the equipment to do that. So my understanding is that they pot, they their their strategy was really one of randomness. So in the same way that coconuts have have colonized have have colonized the entire South Pacific, so did they. Uh, it's just uh, how many of them, what percentage of them survived? Probably yeah. one out of ten, right? You, when you send them out in such large numbers, um, they will eventually, uh, by luck land on these islands and that's uh, how they think that those islands were found all of them they didn't miss one wow just like the coconuts the, <laughs> the coconuts didn't miss any islands nope. so okay so your first big crossing is atlantic mm-hmm. uh what was the toughest part about that one uh the atlantic we were um we were still learning how to sail in an ocean um that was uh we had big seas and big weather uh we were sailing outside of the weather forecast window for the first time and so um so yeah we're still we're just learning how to do things and we're making mistakes and so um so my mistake one day i i uh you know when the wind's deep behind you you're in a it's a very dangerous point of sail because if the if the wind comes on the wrong side of the sail, it takes the the sail and it whips it across the the boat, and it can be very dangerous, and it can actually bring the whole rig down. It can bring the mast down, and that's called an accidental jibe when the wind comes on the wrong side of the sail. Very very easy mistake to make, and we made that mistake. I made that mistake. Um, so uh, to do the repair, we had the mainsail down for um, for several days uh, while we're figuring out how to how to repair the damage. Um, and so it was really the maintenance on, on the boat, fixing these problems, um, learning, uh, learning how to sail deep downwind. So you spend, when you spend weeks going downwind, um, it's very easy to sail. If the wind's straight behind you, it's very easy to sail at an angle to it. But if, you're, if your destination is straight downwind, you've got to learn how to sail that boat well downwind. And so sail configuration, testing things, and learning how a boat works, learning how wind moves across a sail, how you can configure your sail in, in a certain way, to optimize the speed, um, that is that's what that 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 voyage was about for us. So, is either one of you really good with like engines and electronics, and can you fix stuff like really handy that way, or do you have to learn it on the fly? We learned a lot on the fly. Um, everything on a boat breaks. That's one thing you learn as you go. Is um, <laughs> nothing uh, nothing will will stay working for more than a year or two, um, and so you become and there's no mechanics to help you out there. So it is a much more important uh, feature, uh, trait to have, um, to be an around-the-world voyager, um, is being able to fix things. It's more important than being able to learn how to sail. 
Um, if you can fix things, you know, if, if I if I were to do this again and I you said, give me a, an experienced uh, captain who's done this 10 times or give me MacGyver, I'll take <laughs> MacGyver any day of right. the week. Yeah, for sure. That's why Gilligan had the professor. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> you need the professor yeah. around. Yeah, and luckily we had guys on board that were, were all very good mechanically, just by coincidence, really. No, that's great. Um, and, um, and so we learned a lot from them. And every time a mechanic would come on board to fix something while we were in port, I would always watch them and learn how they did things, and then, you know, you you, you learn that there's a there's a method to the to their madness, and and you know, all good mechanics want to complicate complicated problems when they want to fix something. The the common words that always came out of their mouth was, you know, when they see a problem, first thing is diagnosing it, and how do you diagnose? You know, if you're not getting electrical power to something, how do you find out where it's coming from? Right? Where where, where is the where is the where is the breakage in the circuit? Well, they or and you can say the same thing for any plumbing problem or autopilot problem or any. It's all the same way. They're, the common words always come out of the, these mechanics that have done this over and over again. Is well, let's start at the beginning, and so they go to one end and they test it and then they they just follow it down. And so just by going iteratively, one step at a time from the beginning, they'll find the problem. And that is the secret to to fixing things: is start at the beginning. So nineteen days to get across. Nineteen days. Yes. Okay. So you land in Martinique. Martinique, yeah. Okay. And what was your plan? How long you stay in the Caribbean? Martinique, um, so again, it's weather, uh, weather situation. What so, time of year are we at now? This oh, is... boy, you're testing me here. Um, I think we're now going to be around December. Yeah. Okay, December. so hurricane season is done. Hurricane season is, is done. Yeah, we've come across the, uh, the, the Atlantic in a, in a benign time, time of year. Right. And so now we're racing to beat the next hurricane season, right? Okay. Um, don't ask me when that, that – I can't remember exactly when it, be, when it begins. But we have, it's usually like, for, like, was it August through – yeah, late September, th- September through no, to November. Sounds about right. So, yeah. yeah we, so we well, gotta, I've been caught in like a, working in North Carolina and stuff in Florida f- at that time of year and just like avoid it like the plague. So you want to have the boat nice and tucked away by the time that period hits. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we're racing towards, uh, we want to get to Florida. We know we, we've got a growing list of, uh, of repair jobs that need to be done, and we don't want to sail in cyclone season. So, yeah, we had to get to Florida by something like September. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we had, we had that, um, that like six months or so going through the Caribbean, um, arrived in Florida with a huge list of work that we had to do on the boat. <laughs> and this is when we realized that our two-year plan was coming to a, to a three-year plan. We, were, we missed our deadline for getting through the, uh, the, um, the, the, the Panama Canal. Oh right, and um, and so we weren't going to make it through. There was no chance that we could make it through the South Pacific uh, in in time to beat that cyclone season. We just would have no time there, and so we decided to add a year to the voyage. It was either quit uh, and 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 sell the boat in Florida, or add a year to the to the to the plan. Did you take a break or like maybe fly back home and see family or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, we did, we did. Uh, so in Florida, it's easy, easy hop back, and we would come yeah. back. And it, our family was coming out um, to see us. They came out in the Med. They came out. Um, they came out in the Caribbean, and they came out to Florida. So we were seeing family quite a bit, and uh, but would come back for work. You know, every every year, at least at least for a week or two. So when do you take off for the canal? Okay, so, uh, so you uh, island hop in the Caribbean. I yeah, guess. so so we took off from Florida. We actually went to Cuba. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, because, you know, why not? <laughs> Can two Americans uh, just roll into Cuba on a boat? Absolutely. Cuba's very happy. It's the, it's the Americans that have the problem with it. Yeah. Right? So, uh, I've been to Cuba, but I had to sneak in through Cancun. This exactly. Exactly. Luckily, those problems are now history. Yeah. Uh, well, um, for now. For now, yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, so it's very easy to go in and, um, and no, no, yeah, no, like you, no, once you get to Cuba, you're in kind of friendly territory. The only people you got to watch out for are the Americans and their, and their, uh, Coast Guard boats offshore. Oh, right. <laughs> so how long did you stay in Cuba? We stayed there for just, uh, like about a month or so. Like, a month? so, so we, so keep in mind, we're sailing around Cuba and Cuba's a big country. So we go into Havana, we have maybe three or four days in Havana. Then we spend like a week or two getting around Cuba then have another week or so, or so on Cienfuegos on the south side. We did uh, Vinales. Um, if, if, did you I, only, Vinales? I only was in uh, Havana for three nights. Oh, Havana. There. Okay. So you saw, you, so you've seen an amazing part of Cuba, but also yeah. there's Vinales, which is the tobacco fields, and you have Cienfuegos. I mean, amazing. No, I'd really love to go back. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, and easy now. How are your Spanish skills? Terrible. No, really? <laughs> no, they're okay. Un poquito. Did they, poquito they improve on They, the they definitely did, but we were with Spaniards, so do I need to know? Oh, right. You had those guys. <laughs> sure. Yeah. They stuck around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so your favorite Caribbean island? Favorite Caribbean I, I love the British Virgin Islands. Um, so uh, so um, can't remember. No specific island. It's a very small group of islands, so BVI. I like BVI. I liked St. Bart's. I just went there. Ah, St. Bart's, yeah. That was nice. Were you there for New Year's? No, no, uh-huh. no, no. I was there in early December. Okay. I uh, just missed it, yeah. It was yeah. beautiful. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Island. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That one was nice. Okay, yeah. so when do you get down to... Can you just call up the Panama Canal and say, hey, we're coming through? Or how, what's the process of that? The process is... Um, so it is a complicated process because you have to, uh, you have to get the boat measured. You've got to pay your taxes, of course. Is, I heard is it's expensive. Issue. It is expensive. Now, what was expensive probably... I can't remember if it was one or two thousand dollars, but something like that. Um, but the alternative is much more expensive. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. around the bottom. <laughs> so um, yeah, I just went down the bottom. I don't recommend it on a small boat. Yeah, yeah, going around the cape. Yeah. Um, so the process is, uh, it can be if you just show up um, and hope to go through on a small sailing boat. Um, it can you can spend a couple couple weeks waiting for mm. the measures to come out and for you to pay your taxes and all that stuff. Uh, we were late, a little bit late in the season, so we we were um, we were through. Uh, we only had like a day or two wait, um, but they come out, they measure your boat, you pay a bunch of people, you have an agent that helps you manage the process, and then and then um, and then you and then you transit the canal, which is an amazing experience. Yeah, and then you get through the canal, and now the big crossing. Now the big crossing. Now you got to go across the Pacific. Correct. Correct. Which? How long did you budget for this? Um, we figured it was going to be about three weeks. Now keep in mind, um, the, your first hop is nine days to Galapagos, so it's you actually oh, do you get to, to break go it to up. Galapagos. Yeah, I've Galapagos. been wanting to go there. Yeah, it's a that's a it's an amazing one. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. But it's protected, right? Can it's you just all pull national up? park? You can pull up, um, but heavily, heavily restricted. So you can't just hop up in a sailboat and just go cruising yeah. around the islands. You have to stay in the port where you arrive. Um, and so for our experience was basically the same as you would have as a tourist just flying in. Um, you uh, you stay. There's there's a couple of places where you can go in, and then you do these daily these day charters or you do these day excursions. And incredible wildlife, uh, like nowhere else that we that we ever found, and um, and a great place to to add to your bucket list. So Galapagos, and then but you never decided to go along the uh, the west coast of South South America. Did no, you time, ever, no time, no time. So we thought about the idea of going down to Easter Island because we had seen a, a movie about that. Um, and but there's just no time. And the the west coast of South America, from a sailing perspective. Um, not great. Uh, oh, just okay. no, you know, what you, you want is places to, to park the boat, to anchor protected lagoons. And you just don't get that much of it down there. So now where is your next stop after? So from there, from Galapagos, it's the big crossing to the South, over the South Pacific okay. towards the South Pacific. So, so we're like now Tahiti looking at, or something. Tahiti. So French Polynesia yeah. is the country. Um, and in the Easter, you know, on the Eastern, um, islands, you have, uh, what are the, um, 
like little like tiny Hiva ones, Oa. like little... yeah, small islands, Hiva Oa, um, uh, and it's it's the it's the far yeah the far eastern islands of 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 the society, of uh, French Polynesia. Is this where you hit like the biggest waves? Where do you where do you get the you, ha- you at have what amazing point do you get waves? The waves? Yeah, on the south side of those islands, you have the amazing waves. Um, and uh, where in the world did you hit your biggest ones? The biggest waves? Yeah, like your ship. Ship. Well, I like call it a ship. The ship. Where did the ship hit the biggest, biggest waves? Yeah, that would probably be, um, yeah, the, in the in the Pacific. The Pacific is the biggest ocean, so waves build where where wind has lots of time to travel over the surface of water. So, what is the biggest ocean? It's the South Pacific, and so yeah, we hit the biggest waves, the biggest swells. In in a what becomes a wave when it hits shore is just a swell at sea. We does we don't notice them as waves. They just yeah. you don't you hardly notice them because the boat's just slowly moving up and slowly moving down. Yeah, you but, don't notice them. My, God, my stomach would notice them. You don't <laughs> no, get sick? You don't get nauseous or anything? Did you ever? Seasickness, you don't really get so much. Uh, you, you, well, we don't get it. Some people get it really badly, but you get more accustomed to it as you go, and you learn how to deal with it. So if you are getting seasick, then you just you want to make sure you're not inside. Uh, if you're yeah. outside, much easier to avoid it. And then you, you just make sure you just avoid confined spaces. Oh, make sure boy. you can see the horizon. Yeah, oh, God. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you get and, to uh, yeah, and, the, and these, you get these patches. These uh, oh yeah, yeah. I've seen those people in the ships. Where those are those are work magic. Yeah. So you finally. So was it harder than you thought it would be crossing South Pacific or South Pacific was actually what you it be? easy because the Atlantic was so was so challenging because we didn't know how to sail. Once in South Pacific, we really by that point we knew how to sail. And we, the, the fear and the, you know, dealing with what, how to read the weather, the unpredictability, uh, how to, how to set the sails at night to avoid, you know, nasty, you know, gusts in the wind, we call them squalls, all that stuff. We had sort of learned the hard, the lessons the hard way. We learned our lessons in the Mediterranean for the most part, making a lot of mistakes. And so by the time we were there, it was our smoothest crossing. Um, there was no, there's no security risk. Uh, there's really nobody, there's no boat traffic to worry about. Um, it's just about, you know, and we were, we're selling at a time of the year where there's no serious weather concerns. Um, not to mean there's no weather concerns, but you're, you're not likely to hit a life threatening storm. And so right. it was, it was, it was good sailing. So now you get the island hop around the South Pacific, which so is gorgeous. South Pacific, which is, and you have diversity there too. So you have, you know, um, uh, you get to the Tuamotu Islands, which are these, these ringed islands before you get to Tahiti and the Society Islands, you go through, um, you go through the Marque- the Marquesas is the first group, and then you get to um, and then you get to uh, the Tomotus. Tomotus are basically they used to be volcanoes. The volcanoes have receded, and as the volcanoes receded into the into the water, the coral that was on the out, very outer ring of the volcano continued growing towards the sunlight. And so what the what the islands look like today are basically donuts. If you look at, look at them from the sky, they're they're donuts. And um, so you, they, but they all have uh, passes in the in the in the outer reef, so you can you can sail through them quite easily if you have good navigation. You know how to tricky actually because you got to time it. There's so much current coming through these passes that it's it can be pretty treacherous. So you got to make sure you time it uh, with the tides. Um, but if you go at the right time, it's very easy to go through. And then you have beautiful calm lagoons in the middle of these donut islands, and it's a it's like a, a place that you wouldn't you wouldn't you couldn't imagine it unless you were there. It's it's stranger than than your. I don't think I've ever heard of these. Most people have. I hadn't heard of it before we got close. But they, if you, it's called T Tuamotus T U A M O T U S. And can people are, go visit them? I mean, it, can you can get fly there. there? Yeah, you could fly there. Um, it would be one of those places where you're probably taking a bunch of hops and you're going through yeah. Tahiti and then you're taking a small you know prop jet uh, prop plane out to uh, 
out to the islands, but it can, it can be done. Um, but it's one of those places it's hard to get to and, and probably not a place that people would find themselves naturally. It's just not, a, there's not a lot of, uh, industry. There's not a lot of commercial activity there. So, um, so not a lot of people with big resorts. You're kind of, if, if you made it there, you find a, a boutique resort and you'd have an amazing time. Wow. Know, truly extraordinary experience. So after you Highland hop in South Pacific, Mm-hmm. You get to where New Zealand? Do you go there? We actually went to Australia, so okay. so we're going through the South. So you Pacific. go up north, up by we're, Cairns, and like go over we, the top of Darwin so, and all that. So so we did, but we took the boat out of the water for six months in Australia and bought a little combi wagon, a little little cheap oh, truck, awesome. and, and did did the road trip because you got to kill time during cyclone season, right? Can't sail, um, so we arrived whatever it was, um, this December, November, December, something like that, and. Uh, and we are, um, and we're we're going around, we're going around um, Australia by by car. So we saw six of the seven states. Wow! Um, in a little fifteen hundred dollar wagon, <laughs> <laughs> road tripping. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. So 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 we did that. Um, we uh, we sold the wagon for two hundred dollars more than we bought it for. So hey, of, finally something's paying off. So yeah, wagons in Australia much better <laughs> investment than, than the boat. than boats. Yeah. And then we um and then we set off um out to, we had to now go out around the top of Australia and into the Indian Ocean. Okay. So we said goodbye to the Pacific. So now you're doing like uh uh Bali and Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Indonesia. So Indonesia. Uh, we we arrive in um in the eighth parallel island. It's a string of islands called the eighth parallel islands. Um and um and now you're in the now you're in a truly remote part of the world, at least leading towards until you get to the top of Australia. You can always look to Australia as a place of like safety. Well, right. Australia is well, we can always services, go there. Yeah, services and civilization. Once you leave Australia, you're sort of leaping off into the you know where do you go from there if you have, if you start to have problems. Well, because everything there is developing countries until you get back to the Mediterranean. Yeah, um, and so uh, so we're off in Indonesia, and my brother just absolutely falls in love with it. Um, and once we get to Bali and the Gili Islands, I was in uh, Travangan. Travangan, yeah. Uh-huh. I, went, I went diving there for a week. Did you fall in love with it? It was beautiful. Yeah, loved it. My brother fell in love with it, and since the voyage has ended, he's moved back there. He's bought a pirate ship. You're down kidding there, me? And he does, uh, and he does, um, he he does boat charters. He does um, like dive trips. He does uh, takes people down to Komodo Island. Oh my god, Komodo Dragons. And so he lives in he lives in Bali on a pirate ship. Why do you think there? As opposed to all the other beautiful places you saw, what was it about? He fell in love with it. I mean, if you've been to Trevangan, um, it's got that sort of like you know, kind of laid back. Hippie, yeah, there's no cars fun. on it. And, there's no yeah. cars. It's sort of like a. It's just a really fun place to be, and um, with 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 Bali right there as well. If you if you're into that sort of zen kind of hippie, happy go lucky, inexpensive, just amazing travel. Um, can you name a better place? Like, it was nice. It was know, nice. You know? But Bali comes with its own, uh, you know, baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, you get mm-hmm. your, uh, the drunken Australian crowd uh, tearing it up and, you know. That's his target put, market. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, you worry about the, uh, like, the pollution yeah. issues and things like that, which I wanted to ask you about because I read, uh, I saw an interview with some, there was a, young, a teenage girl or something who went around solo around mm-hmm. the world or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, just remarked about how much trash she saw in in the oceans. I mean, did it you is, see a lot. It's yeah. The it's it's a very not in the oceans, um, but uh, but certainly when you get near land, it's where it's near land is. Oh where yeah, yeah. It's the um, you just see the big Pacific garbage patch or whatever they well, call it. You know, that's that's I north, that, I think. Yeah, but the, even that you, that you can't see that with the naked eye. You need a microscope to see that. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. it's the the. Uh, 
the the, the garbage what we think what, are, what the what we think of as garbage you see you find it around um, developing countries where they don't yeah. really have uh, proper um, you know uh, waste management systems and so you know in Indonesia it's particularly sad because they don't they they literally don't use garbage cans they they throw everything on the street Ugh. and they throw it in and they throw it on the beach and so a lot of those beaches they're near population centers just look terrible. Oh, these gorgeous really beaches sad. in in, Bu- in Kuda and in Seminyak and yeah, all those, and yeah. it's just like garbage everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those ones are there's even you know there they have some disposal systems, but yeah. in the more remote islands, it can be really really sad. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, did you see any effects of? Um, I don't know. Did you do you dive at all, or did you do any we of that? Did, we 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 did. We um we got our kind of certifications in Gili Trevangan. So oh, we just did. did we just did our did some diving there, but we never got to use it after that because we I wonder if we went to the same place. I have a T-shirt from the place. It was a yeah. Manta uh, ah, divers there. Have to think. Might yeah. might have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. It's, yeah. It was crazy. My story about that was I I got off at that island. I was like, I can't wait to get away from it all. This is like you know, it, it, I was traveling for three months. But, uh, boy, it's like, I got to get off this, you know, Bali was a little crazy. So I was like, I'm going to go to this island. I'm going to dive and just relax. And I get off. And the first thing I see is like a comedy show uh, there we this go. Friday. And it was a girl I knew, play, well, an English no, girl, yeah, who I knew was playing there. They were some, one of the little hotels was putting on a show. <laughs> I've worked with her here in Hermosa. Unbelievable. Like, well, and I saw her and she's like, what are you doing here? I go, what are you doing here? Nobody should. Why are we here? And it's like, I, man, I try to get away from the business. You can. I, there's a smiling face on the banner. Yeah. As soon yeah. as I get on the dock, I was like, you got to be shitting me. Yeah. This the world's crazy. so big, but yet it's so yeah, small. You get reminded wild. of that over and over It's again. like, really? This is a like, comedy club stop? <laughs> um, so you get there, uh, and then the more west you go, so, it's starting to get more and more dangerous, right? I mean, if it... Well, certainly what's happening is you're, 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 you have a big choice you ha- you're making. So um, you're looking ahead and you're thinking about what the next six months of your life looks like. And, you're, and the, the idea of sailing around South Africa, which is the way most people get around the world these days, that, that's a long route. And, uh, and for us, it would mean if we'd done that, it would have been a three and a half year voyage or a four year voyage. And we really, for you know, we're running out of money. We're running out. We 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 have to get back. <laughs> so that leaves the Suez Canal. So so the idea of going through the Suez Canal was always uh, an idea. We hoped that it would be would be safe enough to go through. Um, but as you probably know, in two thousand around two thousand ten or so, they start having really bad piracy problems in um, in uh, around Gulf of Aden, which is the kind of on the entrance of the Red Sea near Somalia, yeah, around yeah. Somalia. That's where it all started. And so as you as you're in Indonesia and you're looking ahead, you're thinking, okay, where are we going to go from here? And what's your you got to start thinking about the plan pretty seriously. And so um, so so we're doing all this um, as we're trying to enjoy Indonesia. We're doing uh, Borneo. We're doing Malaysia. Um, we want to see Maldives. We want to see Sri Lanka. But we're everything kind of what you what you do and how you allocate your time and what you what you fo- what you focus your energy on is heavily dependent on what your what your next big voyage is going to be, and so we made a we put a lot of investment in trying to figure out is it safe enough to go through um, to try to go through the, to, to the Red Sea um, uh, in light of this this history of piracy problems since 2010 where you had um, like I think you know several boats in 2010 11 were were hijacked and. And their um and their captain the people who were on board ended up being killed. Oh, I saw Captain Phillips. Did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah <laughs> we all boats. saw that yeah, movie. Saw Tom that Hanks survived, yeah. but you know it was scary. Yeah, yeah, and and there you have um the support of you know the American military. And, yeah, and you have a big company that maybe is willing to pay a ransom. 
but um, for for a small uh, single boat, uh, sailing boat, when those guys were getting kidnapped, they couldn't come up with the money. They they the the, the Somalis they want basically a million dollars for a for a white head is what they is what they want, and if they don't get it, then they end up killing you. And so, so we spent a lot of time studying the piracy issue. Um, no boats had gone through since I think 2010. Uh, no sailing boats had gone through, and so we were in sort of uncharted ter- territory. Um, and as we as we made our decisions. And um, and we, so we spent a lot of time researching. Kind of, I read every single piracy incident since 2010. You know what 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 are they? What what are the the trademarks of of a, of a pirate attack? And how can you defend yourself? And the what I noticed was that um, there is no there is no record uh, in at least in the Gulf of Aden. Um, and at least I didn't go back beyond 2010. But there's no record of any uh, s- successful hijacking attempt on an armed ship. If you, if they see guns, then they will um, then they'll go another way. They'll go right. another direction, and so we made the the decision to uh, to try to f- find guns um, and um, and bring on a security some form of security so that we could go through with uh, with with arms. Try to find guns. Try to find guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so where where did this plan come up? To where do you get guns? And say you're in Indonesia. And you're heading toward. Did you yeah. stop in India at all, or we we stopped in Sri Lanka? So the the plan was um, we met up with another another um, gentleman who wanted to move his boat. He was an Israeli, and he wanted to move his boat from uh, kind of his boat was basically trapped in in Thailand, is where all these that's kind of the end point from Thailand. There's nowhere to go, so the the hard decisions have to be made there. And so a lot of boats are sitting in the marina in Thailand because they don't know how to get out of there. Either both options of going around South America or going through Red Sea are just too intimidating. And so what, boats are, are plenty of boats for like sale. Like in Phuket, near Phuket, yeah, yeah. very near Phuket. Um, and so, uh, so we met up with another guy who wanted to do this. We put out the word that we were looking to have a convoy, a uh, small convoy, go with us. And so we were sort of like the central kind of organizers, in a way, of people who were interested in this in the subject. Kind of a convoy, an armada. We, we were we were trying to put <laughs> together a convoy. In the end, we decided that after we had sort of quasi assembled the convoy. We decided this is not a good way to go. The, this, this, the, to, the, to go as slow as the convoy would need to go, uh, we figured it's faster to just go with two boats and less chances of a problem and just more easily easy to go under the radar. So, um, so these Israelis, um, they had the uh, they were trying to source the weapons. They knew the, there's a big security contractor industry in um, in that part of the world because every merchant ship that goes through. Gulf of Aden is hiring security teams, and they, those security teams need weapons. And so there's a system in place where you hire the weapons in in uh, in, in Sri Lanka or in Maldives, um, and you drop them off at a weapons depot uh, halfway up the Red Sea. It's and weapons are going back and forth. This is, a, this is an industry. Oh my gosh! Um, and normally you, get, you rent the weapons with the security guys, so they'll all right. hop on and they'll hop 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 off at the same time. Oh really? And so wait, we're tra- wait, are you hiring a you, you're going to get guns and a security guy? That's how the merchant ships do it. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 big the big, uh, the, big uh, the big shipping container ships when they go through, they'll pick up their security teams with the guns at 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 a location, and then they'll drop them off on the other once they're through the through the hazardous zone. So these guys just hanging out in in Thailand and just saying, "Hey, you need an escort." I don't know what because um, if you need guns, an Israeli guy is a good guy to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> those that's, guys that's know how to get point. weapons. Yeah, yeah, and they know how to. And they know how They're to shoot in the them. weapons yeah. uh, business, and they can use them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, normally the contract. I don't know how the how the how the flow of the contractors work. Um, but These got to be just shady dudes. They just got to be. They like, are, I, I yeah, got, I think they're like sort that's of. That's another ex- red flag. I, th- I, th- I think they're sort of like uh, ex uh, military, ex yeah, sure. you know, Mossad agents. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've got all that that type of experience. 
Um, and uh, and so they're they're around and they're they're plentiful and a lot of them come from uh, there's uh, there's a lot of these contractors are work in the oil industry so they a lot of them come mm-hmm. out of like Dubai and, and that's those parts of the world and a lot of them are Russians you know it's dangerous okay. work doesn't probably pay that great so you have you, a lot of these people are not coming from like Western countries sure um, they're. So you got some crazed Albanian traveling with you. Yeah, so we actually took our, our, <laughs> our, our buddy, our Israeli Special Forces buddy. Well, um, it's a good guy to have. That, uh, and, and we had a chaos trying to find the weapons and ended up, you know, uh, the, the security contractors, when they rent the weapons out, they're supposed to rent them to, um, to licensed security contractors. And they assumed, because they, nobody's ever approached them who's not a security contractor, they assumed that we were. Um, and they didn't, but they didn't check our credentials until after we had the weapons on board. And so once they, once they, they downloaded the weapons to us, we picked them up in, uh, in Maldives and then they asked for our security credentials and to which we said, well, <laughs> we don't have those. Um, they said, well, you know, then you have to take the weapons back. And then we said, well, at that point, you know, there's no, not, there's not a chance we're taking the weapons back because we need these weapons. And at this point we now know how via the challenges that it, that we had getting the weapons that if we give these weapons back we're not going to be able to get them anywhere else it was a really um tricky scenario just getting the weapons and kind of doing a little bit of you know lying and stuff to <laughs> you know what that is that's white guy privilege they yeah, just did yeah. that's why they didn't check your id yeah i guess so i guess so it's like why else would these guys well, yeah. they looked the part yeah. you know so, scruffy white dudes coming so, in why else would they need weapons so then they give us the weapons and then they realize that they're out of compliance because they we could have been pirates for all they knew you know they didn't they didn't know us from adam and, i wouldn't um, i wouldn't you don't strike me as the pirate type yeah yeah well they didn't they never saw me everything <laughs> i did was over email and oh okay voice, so, all right. they, so they would have no idea um so you got one guy and how many weapons We've got we've got there's four of us on board so it's me my brother um, our our Spanish uh, crew guy and the special forces dude and uh, we got we've got uh, three weapons in total um, we gave two of the one of the weapons to the other the convoy boat so we had this other Israeli guys that were that were also going through so we had two boats so we we got out to sea we met up with them in the middle of the ocean we gave them one of our weapons so we had two they had one and then we had a fake weapon that looked like a gun but it was just a fake. <laughs> And, is, it, um, is it like AK forty sevens or something? Uh, they were actually uh, Enfield. Um, they're they're like an AK same same round as an AK forty seven, but much uh, longer barrel and more accurate. So, so like a semi automatic rifle, semi semi automatic like World War two uh, assault rifle. Oh my gosh! Okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, and so we set off and uh, we got the convoy boat there. So we we rendezvoused with them, get, gave them the one weapon. And now we are off into the Gulf of Aden. Um, you know, all of our transponder, our collision avoidance systems off. Um, once we get to the Gulf of Aden, so it's a long voyage, getting just getting to the mouth of the, uh, getting to the Gulf, where the piracy problems begin. And so once we get there, um, we turn off our our transponders. We turn up. We don't use our lights at night um, because of the wind. Uh, you know, the wind situation. We're, we had, we 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 get very close to Somalia. We're we're about forty miles away from Somalia for like a couple of days. Just out, we wanted to stay just far away enough so that the, so the fishing boats that are near shore couldn't see us. Um, no issues. Didn't see a single boat really, um, and and no no issues at all. Um, then we cut a we come we cut uh, north. We came up towards Yemen. Um, when just mainly because of weather, we got near the Yemeni cor- Yemeni um, uh, uh, coast, and um, and that's when uh, uh, we see start to see a lot more fish uh, fishing fishing boat traffic. And boats are approaching us, and we we're nervous. This is still pirate territory. Um, Yemeni Yemenis are known for for also being involved in this activity, but not not like the Somalis, but still dangerous. And one day a boat comes up to us, and 
we just assume that it's a, a uh, we have a we have a protocol, so we practice this that we're not going to let a boat within say a hundred meters of our boat, a hundred yards, and so whenever a boat comes um, is 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 on a kind of a, an approach course to us, we bring all of our weapons onto the deck and we have bulletproof vests on and we look very intimidating, knowing that the the risk is that we're not going to see them if if there's a pirate, uh, if so long as they see us and they see our weapons, we believe they're going to go away. And, um, and so we practice this over and over and over again, like, so we can do with, we can get the guys on the deck within 30 seconds, even if they're in a dead sleep. And so we do, we do this a few times where boats coming near us and we, we, blow the, whoever's on watch blows the whistle and, you know, then the, the, normally the fishing boat just goes a different direction. It's one day this boat's coming up to us and there it's a, it's a fast skiff. It has, it, it looks like it could be a pirate boat, um, you know, like a 30 foot skiff with two, two guys in it. Um, and they're kind of on a collision course with us and they're, they're coming towards us at like 25 miles an hour. So we're nervous. Um, it's happened a few times before. So we just pull the guys up on the deck, weapons are out and they get, we can see them from a long way away cause we have binoculars, but they get close to us and they, um, and they see us. And then once they see the guns, they, they, one of the, the guy, there's two guys in the boat. One of the guys puts his hands up in the air so he can see, so we can, he can see that, uh, so he knows that we know he's not armed. And um, he tells us, the buddy, hey, they have guns, and then they go scooting off in the other direction. We don't think anything else. We just thought they were probably curious fishermen, wanted to sell us some cigarettes, sell some fish, ask us for some cigarettes. I don't know what they wanted. Um, but uh, but uh, we don't, so we don't think anything about it. Um, the, a week later, uh, I'm looking through the pictures. I was taking pictures with the telephoto lens. A week later, I'm looking through the pictures, and I see, um, actually, there were not two guys in the boat. There was a third guy hidden down below one of the decks. That was, that was tip-off number one. That's a little bit interesting. And then we look, we're zooming more on the driver, and we can see very clearly on the lap of the driver is the butt of a, of a, of a rifle. A rifle. So, so we're now, and we showed this to security experts, and they say, no, there's no question. Those were, those were pirates. So, so we, we got lucky. Well, I guess we, we, were, we planned well because they, they didn't approach <laughs> oh us because, because, of the, uh, because they saw our weapons. So we, yeah. got, we escaped that wow. one. We escaped that one. So, you get a, so you're in the Red Sea. You get up to, I guess, through Egypt. Yeah. No. I mean, is there any... Do you go past Israel? I mean, so we do. Maybe- so so coming up the Red Sea, um, you have... Uh, it's, it's fine sailing in the bottom part because the wind is behind you. In the north part of the Red Sea, uh, the wind blows from the north, at least this time of the year. It's very, very difficult to make progress. So the top half of the, of the Red Sea is probably the most difficult sailing we had in the whole, in the whole voyage just because you have to go so slow and you got to wait so long for these small breaks in the weather. Um, we had to unload our Israeli special forces buddy. Oh, no. Israeli, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he has an Israeli, is an Israeli passport, and he can't get off oh, yeah, um, anywhere. Yeah, Egypt except won't Israel. Him, Sudan won't take Yes. Do you take him to Elat? We take him to Elat. I was in Elat. Elat. Yeah. Elat. Yeah, yeah. We I went diving there. Ah, you've been to all the good dive spots. Yeah, yeah. of course, the Red Sea diving. Yeah. But I haven't done Sharm el Sheikh because I heard it's better down there. Yeah, I've heard that too. Near, it, near the bottom of the peninsula, it was kind of over uh, done. In yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's safer in a lot. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I signed sure. more paperwork to dive there than yeah, anywhere. Sure you did. They made yeah. me do like a refresher dive. I was like, really? Yeah, it was yeah. a hassle. It was expensive. Yeah. And then you go to someplace like the Philippines, and they didn't even check my card. Yeah, they're they like, yeah, care. go ahead. Yeah. They don't even yeah, either your card or a couple dollars. Yeah, yeah. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. So you're getting through. So you you dropped him off in Israel. We dropped off in a lot. Yeah. And then um, and then we spent um, a week or two uh, cruising around Israel. Went into Palestine. We recognize Palestine, so we count that as a country. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and uh, did the Red Sea, 
um, and then came back through, and now we now we have the Suez Canal to go through, right? So yeah. we come back down around uh, Sharm el Sheikh, um, go up to the Suez, and go through the process there. The formalities again. It's again a system of measurements, and in Egypt, it's more about bribes. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, is it else. more of a hassle than than the Panama Canal? Um, no, it's actually easier because because the Panama Canal, the, the Suez Canal has such a greater capacity because there's no lock system in the Suez Canal. Oh, you're right, right, right. In the Panama, they're, they're taking basically taking you up to a lake and then you transit on yeah. the lake and then you get dropped back down. Uh, in Suez, uh, it's not. It's just uh, it's, it's just, just a, a one lane gouge in the desert. A big huge gouge. So <laughs> you are looking at just they are they they move so much sand out of the way to make this canal, and after so many years of expanding the canal. That that they're fighting. It's like trying to hold back the tide, right? The mm-hmm. sand has has a natural tendency to blow back into the canal, so they have to dredge have it a all the time. Permanent, like a huge and permanent dredging operation happening, and it's one of the most impressive like construction sites you'll ever see. Like the amount of earth of sand that they move and continue to move it, until you see it, you just can't believe that it's like making mountains out of sand, and they're moving it all the time. It's a constant, a constant battle to keep it out of the way. How long does it take to get through? Oh, it took uh, it took us like a few hours uh, well, one evening, it. and then we stop halfway, and then like maybe four or five hours. It's like total eight hours transit okay. time, something like that. And then you get through, and, and you, you made through. it. You made it around the world. You've made it. You've almost made it. Yeah, you still got to get back over to Rhodes, and so we had just our our worst weather of the whole of the whole. No, trip. really, it was, it was approaching at that moment, and we up until maybe the last ten hours, we didn't know if we were going to be able to make uh, make landfall or have to turn back and go downwind because we were racing a a, a big incoming system. And um, we were within. We got in the shelter of roads within like a few hours of when we had to. Before oh. it would have been the, the amount of wind that was coming was so much that it would have been impossible to make progress in the in the direction we needed to go. So we almost got pushed back down and we had, had to go to uh, another Greek island and finished up the next week. But we made it just barely. That's a, so hours. grand total. It took all the three years. It took three years. Yeah, it took like uh, maybe yeah, yeah, about like thirty five months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Was there ever a moment? That one moment you you just wanted to give up and just like yeah. you know what I'm done yeah I'm over where where, where was it it was um, the 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 challenge for for a voyage like this is the is the repair work boats are just unreliable the stresses on everything is huge you deal with marine conditions you're dealing with a lot of corrosion you're dealing with electrical a lot of electrical connections many many systems that are not designed not built in large quantities so it's not like a car. Where you know you can buy a car and then just expect that it's gonna. No, boats aren't like that way. Stuff is breaking all the time, and so we spent a total of about a year of our time just repairing the boat, right? So I figure roughly a year was spent repairing, roughly a year was spent sailing, and roughly a year was spent enjoying doing everything that's enjoyable, right? So that ratio, especially in the early couple, in the early after the end of the first like year and a half. That was a particularly bad ratio of enjoyable time <laughs> yeah. to working on the boat time, and um, and in Florida was like the the peak of that where we were looking around going you know what this thing is just so hopelessly unreliable does it make sense to do this and um, and in the end and we had to look at our pocketbooks and think okay we're probably going to leave this thing with some debt um, and and uh, and we had, yeah we took a we took a long hard look at what we we're doing. Um, we ended up continuing, and thank God we did because it was we, our problems were were well they were they were eased slightly from there. Um, <laughs> but the what really happened was we had the most amazing couple of years uh, of our lives that followed that. And when you look back on it, yes, it was more expensive than we thought. Yes, we spent more. Yes, we spent an extra year doing it. Yes, it was a bunch of pain in the ass boat, boat repair work. <laughs> but would you trade that experience for anything? 
um, I think for those people who who do take the leap and do that, uh, despite the many times where you're not enjoying yourself, you look back and you don't you don't remember the bad times. You just think about the amazing experiences you had. And this is the, this is why we all no, travel, that's, right? It's an incredible experience. It, it's the same thing I think for anybody when you're when you go to any developing country. Maybe half the time you're there, you're thinking, this, you're just not having an amazing time. You're dealing with something. You're dealing with a corrupt bureaucrat yeah. official. You are dealing with a, a dog then, shit on your foot. Right. You're dealing the power with going out every, something. every yeah. once a day. There's no yeah. hot water. You can't get the internet. Yeah. You can't change your money. You're getting ripped off by somebody. All those things make you second guess what you're doing for brief moments. But um, but when you return home and you look back and say, hey, I went to Kenya. I did whatever. I you, you rarely do you say, I wish I didn't go because I didn't like those things were bothersome. So, it, so the, uh, the budget though was, yeah, I don't want any specific numbers, but it did go way over the way you thought it was. So the, 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 the big part of the budget, um, and where we miscalculated so heavily was in the, well, of course the repair costs. So I have to think back. Uh, so yeah, we put a lot of money into it. So where we thought we'd be putting maybe in a year, uh, five or ten thousand dollars into the boat, uh, probably is more like uh, twenty to twenty-five thousand a year, right? So already that's a that we're way over budget there. Um, the actual travel costs pretty minimal. I mean, everything's per, diesel fuel is not that expensive. You know, when you're in these places, you're normally staying on the boat or in some hostel if you're out doing an excursion or something. All that stuff that's all cheap. Um, the uh, you ha- so the, the other big cost is the depreciation on the boat, right? Oh, yeah. And so yeah. we bought the boat for 225, oh, wow. 225,000, figuring that's just going to tie up capital, right? And so um uh and figuring we get it back at the end. And so the offer that we have on the boat today is 180, mm. right? So um so you you'd figure in the we bought it for 225 we put in all that money in the in the upkeep. We we improved the boat with all the those those years of $20,000 a piece. And so we've got more than three hundred in it, probably. Ugh. And now we're looking at selling it, and so we figure maybe we sell it for two fifty, two seventy five. Well, that's not reality. Maybe that's part of the economy. Maybe that's um, you know I don't know what I, don't, I can't explain fully why the value of boats just doesn't maintain. Maybe it's because we put another year on the boat. Now it's now it's got two circumnavigations, and it's just a more tired boat. So I get it, but I, I wasn't thinking about it in those terms before. So yeah, it, maybe it cost uh, you know hundred grand more than than, yeah. than I thought it, than I thought it would when we started. So you're saying as my investment guy, I shouldn't go for boats as my uh, as my prime as your investment as your investment for my guy, retirement portfolio. As your investment guy, I can say <laughs> stay away from boats. As your friend, though, I tell you, you might want to yeah, consider it. Yeah, it's a good living. <laughs> so your brother, I mean, you're back on land now. Tell we should say what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do? I mean, you're an, you're yeah, an investment, I, I know, but yeah. you're working with a philanthropy, right? Yeah, I, I work with a with a I work with a, um, a a single family, so I manage an investment portfolio and work with their philanthropic activities. This is a, a family that's basically dedicated their estate, their fortune, to philanthropic causes, and so this is focusing philanthropy, focusing philanthropy dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, they're supporting uh, nonprofits, nonprofit partners that are having. Um, incredible impacts uh, on on human life um, around the world. About half of them are in developing countries, so they do things like uh, a lot of health work, a lot of educational work, voc- vocational training. Um, we teach kids, uh, we teach farmers how to double or triple their agricultural output. Um, we're working with um, uh, uh, people that come out of, in the United States. We do work with uh, ex-convicts. 
kids who are in the foster program, kids who are really disadvantaged, people who are really disadvantaged for one reason or another, um, normally because of some poverty-related reason. And we're finding the key intervention points and ways to achieve uh, outsized impact for the for the dollar invested. So we have an investment background, so we're looking at everything in terms of kind of return on investment. Um, in the same way that we look at uh, an investment for the investment portfolio, we're looking for profit as the return indicator. Um, in the philanthropic portfolio, we are looking for um, human impact, life changing human impact as the as the return indicator. So is there a uh, a place where people, if they wanted to, because I'm, I'm in your house right now, and there's these amazing, I can't describe it to people, but there are these giant photos on the wall that you took on your trip, right? Right, right. That are uh, really incredible. So uh, do you have a, a website for these, so, like people can follow mm-hmm. along on the trip? Yeah, so so um, we have the, 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 I have two websites. One is for the for the trip, which is the, the blog that is, I don't update anymore. It's just a record of our voyage. So all these crazy stories and, and all the places we went to are pretty well archived. And that's on tamariskrtw.com. Let's spell that for us. Tamarisk is the name of the boat. That's T-A-M-A-R-I-S-K. Okay. And what does then, that mean? Does that and then represent R- something? RTW, tam- so Tamarisk, R-T-W, R-T-W for around the world. Around the world. Dot com. Dot com. Um, Tamarisk is the name of my grandfather's boat. Um, oh, okay. And the first boat that we as kids were ever on. And so, uh, Very nice. so we named it after that. Yeah, yeah. And what then, if people uh, want the, to buy a boat? In terms of the pictures, <laughs> sorry, yes, about the pictures. The um, the pictures uh, you can go to jasonwindebank.com. and I have. Um, I'll have links to all these on the uh, right, right, on yeah, the side. Yeah, and so that's where, that's where all these pictures that you're seeing are uh, really are amazing. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Did you put, um, did you think ever thought of making them into a I mean books seem old fashioned but they make a hell of a coffee table book I've got one I'll show you I should oh, leave. I should have shown you that before we started those. yeah yeah I should have shown you oh, yeah, how, yeah. Oh, can people buy those no 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 These oh. are, I mean <laughs> don't, no yet haven't, haven't uh, hey we got a boat to pay for <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where to buy a boat? Yeah, you go to yachtworld.com dot com if you want to buy a boat. Um, I recommend uh, I recommend uh, you know you think about it uh, before you do it. Um, but uh, but it's a it's a life changing experience. It changes who you are. Um, the uh, it does is it really about the dollar? If you can afford, it's one of those things where um, if you find yourself in a position in life where you're lucky enough to be able to do it, it doesn't matter wh- when you are, how old you are. Uh, most people that are doing it are retired, and that's a fine way to do it. You have more time, you have more money, and that's a fine way to do it. Um, but I mean, you um, also didn't have, you know, have kids or we didn't have kids. Like that. We didn't yeah. have kids. Uh, didn't have wives. Um, going, going. Many people start the voyage with a wife. A few people, <laughs> a few people end the voyage with a wife. Right. So I recommend uh, doing the voyage. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. either either once you know the wife well enough that she you know she's not going to go anywhere. So that is a, you're retired. Uh, yeah, there's or, a patient wife right yeah, there. Yeah, or um, or do it before you have a wife. <laughs> yeah, or after you've already had a wife. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a divorced man's trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, but I think it's a matter like a lot of travel. You 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 find yourself a time in your life where you can you can pull something off, and just I think in, the key is just embracing those moments and just saying, you know what, you, you risk you think about risk in in a way. That you know, a lot of people when they're dying, they what is the common thing they say? They wish they took more risks, and people don't die regretting that they you know didn't make enough money or that they didn't save more money. They it's more about what they didn't do. It's what they didn't do. It's what they didn't do. And and um, so you find I one of the things that prompted me to uh, to do the trip was I had a fairly near death experience with a medical condition, and and I had I feel like I had the benefit of 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 some of those that perspective. Looking back and thinking that you're you might be dying like soon, 
and then I think it's I found a lot of people out there that had that had some sort of really um, intense uh, life changing experience like that, either the death of a close loved one or near death experience, and it takes those things to often force people. But I probably wouldn't have done it if not for that. And I found other people that were in the same situation. So um, you can, if you're able to just benefit from, I, I, I feel lucky that I had that experience so that I could in turn had the, the, the momentum and the push to, to take that leap and do this voyage. Um, I think if other people could just channel that a little bit, they would, they'd find they took more risks and in the end of their life, maybe they, they are, they're grateful that they, that they did that. That's great. Yeah. Well, how, finally, how do you think it changed you as a person? Like, how were you different at the end of the trip than you were at starting? I went in, um, I think, uh, probably naive to the world. Um, I learned a lot about people. We got, um, there's, I, I learned that you have to, <laughs> you can't trust a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of, not everything that I learned was great. Um, I went in, I think, an optimist and naive. I came out um, realizing that um, the world can be really hard. We're really, really lucky. Like when you to to be born into a Western country where we can even have the possibility to get to a place where we can do something like this, we are in a tremendous minority. Um, I realize that we, as the West, uh, Americans and Western countries, um, we're we don't have the moral high ground. I don't think. I, I used to think that America is great. Um, that we have the that we are somehow morally. No, I, I think that we do a lot of damage in the world, and I think that if we had more um, awareness of what, what we were doing around the world, um, we might see things in a different light. Um, people are in desperate situations, and when people are in desperate situations, they will screw you. You have to watch out for that. Um, government officials, if you're there in uniform, we got robbed 20 times. Uh, 18 of those times were by uniformed officials. Um, those are the people that are that are in a position to abuse their power, and those are the people that we are most afraid of. And that's that's um, that was true the whole way around the world. Um, you uh, you come out of it a realist, I think, is what it is. You, you understand a lot more about how the world really is. You understand what a real problem is. And when you stub your toe, or you think about your car broke is broken down, or you have what we call like a first world problem, and you think back and you think about really. Do we really have problems? Yeah, we don't have. We don't really know what problems are, and so that perspective, I think, is a very valuable one. And, and I think one of the main reasons why I like being around people who travel, and I encourage people to travel, is because there's something about people who have been out there and seen these things that um, they can relate to these types of issues. They've seen these things as well, and so a conversation that you have with somebody who travels is very different from a conversation you have with somebody who. Is, has kind of blinders on because they haven't left their hometown, and so um, so the thought that you might uh, you might be one of those people if you didn't travel, like if if I didn't do something like this and I didn't become a world traveler, maybe I would die being somebody who just was one of those people that has blinders on. And so you want to make sure that you're not one of those people. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's a great way to end it, man. I appreciate you doing this. And thanks. And that was, that's an amazing story. Great. Thank and you And so me. one more time, give the uh, websites that any uh, you want them to go to. So, yeah. Can people donate to your... Yeah, for, for sure. Focusingphilanthropy.org is the, is the most important one. Everything else is about funding games. Um, Focusingphilanthropy.org, uh, you can learn about where to... Uh, if you want to make an impact, if you have money to give, and you want to make that sure that money goes a long way... Um, Learn about the problems of the world and how you can how you can change those. 
that's focusingphilanthropy.org. Uh, the travel website is the, the blog, the sailing blog. If you're interested in doing a voyage like this, Lauren, there's plenty of people that are doing blogs. Um, ours is just one example. Uh, read before you before you do it. You you can you can learn a lot of the shortcuts uh, that <laughs> yeah. we learned the hard way. That's tamariskrtw.com. And then uh, for the photos, if you want that, that's uh, that's jasonwindebank.com. Right. And if you've yeah. learned anything today, don't buy a boat sight unseen. <laughs> good, good, good <laughs> right. move. Good move. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. 